You know, I love that flute. Every time I hear that song, I love that flute. It's just, it's perfect. At Jim, the end would, of that you say song. It, would you say it tickles your inner light? Yes, I would say that. It's gorntastic, actually. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, guys, welcome to Trek Talk. And it's Monday night at 7.30 p.m. We are live. Give us a call at 646-668-2433, and you can join the conversation. And as you may have guessed, since we played the Picard theme song, we're going to be talking about Picard. That's right. We're doing Book Nook, and I can't remember when was the last Book Nook that we did. It was a while ago. Months. Wow. Months. Months and months and months Months. ago. Yeah, it's been a long time. But with this little hiatus Uh, that we have, we got to suffer through a whole month without new Star Trek. So it's time to bring back some of the golden oldies, blow off the dust and bring them back. So Book Nook is one of them. And tonight we're going to be talking about Rogue Elements, a Star Trek Picard novel. And uh, written by John Jackson Miller, one of my favorite authors. Um, And we're going to be talking all about, yes, he's one of my favorites now. Who laughed? I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll clarify for the listeners here in a moment <laughs> um, yeah. um, but we're, this book is all about Rios and basically you know how did he get La Serena what was he doing before he hooked up with Picard um, it's like all the backstory about Rios so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight book nook it's going to be a lot of fun um, we, we, yeah, we will. There probably will be some spoilers uh, because I don't see how we can talk about this book without talking about some of the things that are in the book. But um, yeah, so hopefully you've already read it because we're a little bit behind on our book notes. So before we yeah, get this- too far, though, I would like to introduce to you guys my awesome Trexpert. And we'll start out with Charles. He's out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Dealing with monsoon season again. Got a rain shower that passed through today. Today, maybe an hour ago. I said we actually got a good rain out of this one instead of getting skipped over again. Well, I got to tell you, it has been brutally hot um, up here the last couple of days. Uh, We actually had the heat index broke 105, and uh, it was the hot. We broke a record for the hottest day. I mean, I just kind of hung out in the camper reading this awesome book called Rogue Elements and finishing it up uh, because it was just too hot to go outside. It was just brutal up at camp, so at any rate. We've had those days here, too. Yeah, well, we don't get those up here a lot. That's the odd thing. That's that's weird. I I walked a dog in the morning, and it's so cold you can see your breath. And by lunchtime, it's 95 degrees. It's like, my, that's so weird how the temperature can swing that much. But at any rate, we also have with us from Portland our very own Eric. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing great, uh, and apparently it's everywhere. Uh, we were 95 today. We're supposed to be like 103 tomorrow, uh, and it's uh, here all week, so it's hot all around. So there you go. That's the weather report from the, the triangle uh, of Trek talking, <laughs> yeah. which, covers, which covers coast to coast and in some ways north to south. Uh, like all we need is uh, somebody in Florida to kind of like round it out, but <laughs> – well, I'll tell you what, Eric, I hope it clears out by Trek Conoroga because they have it in the high school and there's no air conditioning there. So it's well, stifling. We um, got a couple of weeks. Got a couple of weeks. Yeah. So we, there, we cross our fingers and uh, hope for, you know, 60s that week. Let's hope. Let's hope. So uh, we're going to talk about Book Nook and Rogue Elements, which is the backstory of Rios. And I have to tell you guys to start off with, uh, first of all, uh, John Jackson Miller, uh, he's written some great stuff, some of my favorite stuff he's written. Um, yeah, not quite, not exactly. I've read one book that he wrote, and I hated it. So um, I actually, when Charles brought this up, I wasn't really thrilled about reading this book for two reasons. I 
the last book I read by him, I didn't like at all. So I wasn't excited. And the second thing that didn't really thrill me about it is that I'm not really a big um, uh, backstory on non uh, – when I think of Rios, he's like the Han Solo of Star Trek. And I'm really not really – big into that kind of stuff. I, I really would much rather read something about a Starfleet officer or something happening on a ship or <coughs> Excuse Holy me. smokes. You're right there, buddy. <coughs> or a, a mission or something like that. So when you put those two things together <coughs> I really wasn't super excited, and uh, which I think is why it took me so while to read this book. But having said that, yet he loved Haley's book. I'm glad that I read it. Actually, um, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that as we move. <coughs> oh my God! As we go, <coughs> as we move through the show, I feel like I got COVID cough back again here. Um, <coughs> We'll dive right into all these little twists and turns with this particular book. But knowing that Rios actually ends up staying behind on Earth of Old, this book kind of, it's almost like maybe they knew about that they were going to do that before they wrote the book. Well, I think what's um, really interesting, Jim, is that you and I both started the book before we knew that and ended the book after we knew that. So, yes, you know, we, <laughs> it was like that became a... I'm the only one that started the book and end, started That's and right. ended before realizing what happened to Rios. That's right. Charles was the only one who was on top of things, and Jim and I took forever to read the book. And so I just think it's kind of interesting that um, about three-quarters of the way through the book is when I learned what happens to Rios. And I do think it colored the way that I sort of read the end of the book. You know, it was just just having that knowledge in my back pocket um, sort of, you know, just changes how you see the events that the character goes through uh, after that knowledge exists. So that, I thought that was interesting. Well, when the, when we started the book, I started reading it and um, I thought that it was kind of, it's, it didn't grab me right from the start, which is why it took me so long to finish it because there wasn't like, um, that big moment, that big thing where you, you, you just wanted to turn the page to see what happened next. It was just, for me, it just, that just never happened. It was more like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's neat. But nothing that jumped out and said, well, I got to find out what happens next. So I just kind of took my time and just, you know, a little here, a little there, a little here, a little there, and then just put it down and never really got back to it. And once I did, though, I just I flew right through the end of it once I did. I think I was at like 30% on my Kindle. I was up to 70%, and then I sat down at camp because it was 98 degrees and so hot that I just whizzed through that last 30% in one day. And I was glad that I did because I, I really ended up enjoying the book quite a bit once I started getting back into it. And yeah, it's kind of interesting. I feel like, Jim, I think you're spot on, at least from my experience, and I'll be interested to hear what Charles has to say, but I had the same experience where the first, like, two-thirds of the book I was a little less interested in. I will say I'm, I'm pretty sure it starts with a, a space chase of some kind, which was kind of cool, but you're right. Then it sort of lulls into a lot of characters, um, a lot of different world worlds and you know situations which is which is cool no no doubt but i didn't find any of it super duper compelling for the first two-thirds of the book and then like the last third of the book i really liked it was um i i can't remember exactly what the event was but there was something that sort of happened that i was like okay now i'm into it and then it just kind of took off from there so for me first two-thirds a little dull Last one-third, I really dug, and so I overall, you know, did like the book quite a bit. Talking about, okay, I told you guys he's my favorite author, so let me clarify. 
he wrote a book that we read on Book Nook quite a while ago called The Enterprise War. I love I love Pike. I was looking so forward to reading the book. And I hated it. But let me clarify something that Eric just said, which hit the nail on the head for me. <clears throat> In the Enterprise War, the author goes off on these tangents about characters and races and planets and things that we are not familiar with, that we don't know anything about. And so when he's going off about these things, it's, it's, just, it's just extraneous information because we don't know, or at least for me, uh, who they are, what he's talking about, how to relate to them, how they relate to us. They don't mean anything. However, in this book, when the author does the same thing, book that he did in that book, except in this book, he's, he's giving us backstory and filling in characters that we do know, planets that we have heard of, and missions that we, that we are familiar with because the Enterprise, the TOS Enterprise has been there. The Enterprise D has been there. And so filling in the backstories and situations around these places and these characters and these things that, that we're familiar with made a lot more sense and was a lot easier for me to read and digest than Planet X, Y, and Z. So I, it, it's the same style and the same technique that was used in the Enterprise War, except in this case, he's doing it with things I'm familiar with. And I think that helped me to, to not become as bored as I did with the other book that he wrote. So Charles, what about what about your kind of overall, you know, impression of the book and the arc of the book? Okay, well, let me explain. Whereas my, my our, our hosts go through and pick their Kindle up or their paper copy up to read, I go out. At the time I was doing the book, I was doing. About a half hour a day walking. I do almost an hour on the weekends. So I burn through audiobooks. So I just pick up the audiobook. It's like I hit the patio, hit play, and off I go. And I go to the book and just listen to what's going on. And so it's like, it might be a slow spot, but I'm just going to listen right through it. Just keep on going. It's got to get pretty bad for me to actually stop and pause and say, okay, I'm done. I'm not doing it right now. So I actually went through the book. We end up meeting a species or a civilization that we've had prior knowledge to, and I thought it was rather interesting to work with that group. The fight scene Jim's ta- the battle scene Jim's thinking about is a test drive that went yeah. a little array. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think, and, and I thought that was like, oh, okay. That's classic Rios. Yeah. That's <laughs> what Rios would do. And there are many a times he would do something in here and it's like, yeah, that's Rios. That's Captain Rios. That's the character we're used to seeing. And unlike Jim, who's like he's not big fan on a lot of backstories. I love backstories. I love getting an idea where these characters came people came from. And Rios is a very rich character and we don't know much about him. And I really like the idea of saying, Okay, we've got some backstory to this. And I don't know when this book was written if they had any, if the writer had gotten any access to season two or not yet. Other than the first, other than the beginning of the how the how the story was supposed to start up. Yeah, I' not really sure when exactly the you know the or if the author would have gotten access to information about the season. Um, I think you know I think from some of the other authors that we've interviewed in the past, I kind of get this con- this idea that the, um, Paramount comes to them 
with an idea of what they want to do and they and they do it or they come to an author and they say hey author what do you think and it was interesting i you know was reading a little bit about this book and um john jackson miller said that he when he wrote this book it was during covid so uh we were kind of in a lockdown type situation and he really wanted to be able to bring something to the table that would be fun and would kind of lighten the mood, so to speak. And so, you know, in following up on what Jim said about Rios kind of being a Han Solo type character, you know, it, in that respect, I think we do get some Rios Han Solo moments like this opening chase scene or like some of the swindling or, you know, that kind of stuff that, that sort of happens. The thing that I just found in or in general, and I think it's maybe what Jim was kind of reaching towards when he was talking about this author is that he does these sort of world building things at times that end up not really paying off in the story. And so you do get some information that is like, okay, well, I've got the information, but why does that even matter? Um, and this book has a little bit of that. I think, I think less, and there are some really cool characters that I really like in this book. Like I think the ledger character is a really cool one. Um, yeah. The, yes. the, the, Fer- oh, yes. the Ferengi, I'm a little bit like, eh, whatever, they're Ferengi. Like, I, I don't really, you know, love or or hate them. But then there are some really clever things. And I, I will say, you know, Jim Jim's probably going to go into some of the finer points. But I guess if I was to go, like, what's my favorite <laughs> part of this book? It's really seeing the development of his uh, holographic selves, you know. It turns out that La Serena has this like special technology where you can kind of scan yourself. And the reason that we see, you know, in Picard, some, some drunk holograms is that Rios scanned himself drunk (laughs) while he was making that hologram. And so that's why that hologram acts the way that it does. And he's a, he's a drunken helmsman um, because occasionally Rios is as well. So I, I thought that was really clever. I love it. And most of the play with his holograms is, at, is towards the end of the book. I mean, there's definitely some earlier on in the book, but, but I don't think it gets really, really fun until probably the last, like, ten chapters or so. So, Well, guys, we're going to take a very quick commercial break, but when we come back, we're going to continue talking about Rogue Elements, the Star Trek Picard tie-in novel by John Jackson Miller. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after these very important messages. Hi there, this is Eric from Trek Talking. Do you own a business, produce a product, or are planning an event that would appeal to Star Trek fans? Would you like to harness the power of this podcast to get your message out to the world? We here at Trek Talking are a show made by fans for fans, and we would love to help you share your love of Star Trek on the air live every Monday and Thursday night at 7.30 Eastern. Contact us through Facebook Messenger at facebook.com slash trektalkingandbeyond or email us using the contact link on our website at podpage.com slash trek-talking. We can't wait to hear from you. Engage. TrekConderoga, the biggest little Star Trek event in the Northeast, is proud to present TrekConderoga 2022, August 19th through the 21st, in Ticonderoga, New York, with headliners Gates McFadden, John Delancey, and Brent Spiner. Join Uncle Jim and Eric from Trek Talking as we marvel at the original series set tour, walking the corridors, sick bay, briefing room, captain's quarters, transporter room, and main engineering of the USS Enterprise. Our next generation tour guides will share behind-the-scenes information and explain how the sets were designed and erected. For most of us, the tour saves the best for last, the iconic main bridge where the adventures begin. Sound like fun? We think so too. So stop by the Trek Talking table on your way to tour the set and meet the stars. And tell them Trek Talking sent you. Engage. Don't miss Fandom Fest New York. Featuring special guests, vendors, artists, esports, tabletop games, and so much more. Fandom Fest, a unique con experience at Proctor's, August 12th through 14th. 
And we're back, guys. And if you're interested in going to Phantom Fest, you can go to our Facebook page, and you'll find a link to their page, and there's a special 30% discount. So if you're interested, please check that out. Okay, guys, we're back. We're talking about Rogue Elements from John Jackson Miller. And I got to tell you guys, I enjoyed this book a lot more than I thought that I would. And I think it's because it literally spans the next generation, which, yeah, and it it touches back to TOS. Ledger, Ledger is my favorite. I love the Ledger character. She's amazing. Uh, She is just the best character in the book. And I really, really, it was sad because I knew she was going to have to go away, but somehow by the end. But the fact that Rios is attracted to somebody who emulates the past, in this case, mobsters of the 30s, and knowing that he falls for a doctor in 2020 and goes back in time to stay with her is fitting, I think. That's one of the thing, one of the angles I really enjoyed about the thing was it made sense to me that that would happen. Knowing totally, where he ends up. Totally agree yeah. with you, Jim. And I realized that we didn't really yeah. do a, a description for the fans. So in, in case you're listening to this podcast and you haven't actually read the book yet, but you're, but you're still listening uh, because you love the sound of our voice, uh, here's the scoop on the book. Starfleet was everything for Cristobal Rios until one horrible, inexplicable day when it all went wrong. Aimless and adrift, he grasps at a chance for a future as an independent freighter captain in an area betrayed by the Federation, the border region with the former Romulan Empire. His greatest desire? To be left alone. But solitude isn't in the cards for the captain of La Serena, who falls into debt to a roving gang of hoodlums from a planet whose society is based on (laughs) Prohibition-era Earth. Sound familiar? Teamed up against his will with Ledger, his conniving overseer, Rios, begins an odyssey that brings him into conflict with outlaws and fortune seekers, with power brokers and relic hunters across the stars. Exotic loves and locales await, as well as dangers galore. And Rios learns the hard way that good crew members are hard to find, even when you can create your own. And while his meeting with Jean-Luc Picard is years away, Rios finds himself drawing on the Starfleet Legends experiences when he discovers a mystery that began on one of the galaxy's most important days. Uh, That just kind of tells you the whole story right there, uh, if you've read the book. (laughs) And, you know, we're we're talking about a piece of the action, of course. Yep. And the Iotians, Ledger's an Iotian. And uh, throughout the book, she, the character makes all kinds of, you know, put them on ice and book them down. Well, no, that's, Hawaii Five O, but I mean, right. uh, <laughs> but she like, does use the lingo. She's got the lingo yeah. Down. She uses the yeah. lingo through the whole book, which is spectacular. I I yeah. love th- that, and it all stems from. And this is we don't find this out till much later in the book, which is why I think I my interest perked up, is that we find out who Rios got the ship from, well, where the ship came from, not who he got it from, and he happens to be an old drunk Klingon. So right away I was like, Oh wow, that's cool. He's an old drunk Klingon. And, but he's just not any old drunk Klingon. Oh no, no, he's not. His, uh, let me get this right. Was it his, his, his father was Chang. His father. Yeah. Yes. His father yeah. was Chang. And yeah, Chang yes, from, that, yep. That, that Chang. Chang. Yep. Yes. That <laughs> Chang. <laughs> And, and the whole destruction of Praxis and the whole plot of Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country is kind of explored in this book from a completely different angle. We, we, we find out about mm-hmm. the Romulans, we find out about the Federation, we find out about the Klingons, how they got together and what they really got together for, which wasn't war, I want to add. Yeah, and in fact, Jim, it doesn't, it, go ahead, sorry. Just, that, that whole angle with wh- how how they got together and, and what they were brought together for versus what they actually did yep. just fascinated me once it got started. And we see Kalas, we see Kang, we see Kor, we see Gorkon. Um, we see them all in this Thank book. you, Holodeck. Uh, 
Yes, it yeah. was just it was spectacular. I loved it. And well, and we Jim, also get- and Jim, it doesn't stop there because it's so it combines three prior Star Trek things, right? It combines a piece of the action. It combines um, our main villain, Kivas Fahu, from the most toys, which is TNG era. Yep. And then, of course, you've already said Star Trek VI. So three, like, really solid, you know, either shows or movies in the Star Trek universe are brought together along with Cristobal Rios in this book. And there's one more. There's another tie to TNG. And, and uh, I didn't – you don't find this out till I think, like, the, the second-to-last chapter – um, where uh, the woman that Rios has the affair with is Xavier Quimby XQ. <laughs> and I never put that together until the very, very, very end when she told us who she was. And I was like, oh, my God, that's even more cool. She's <laughs> and Q's X. Q's <laughs> X. Yes, it's Vosh. And I loved it. I just like Yes, that's Vosh. <laughs> He's digging really deep into the Star Trek lore. They even play Fizzbin. You guys remember Fizzbin? Oh, yeah. That, one of the last chapters is the Fizzbin chapter, which is hilarious. And they, 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 he digs really deep. And, and, and the captain of the, the engineering ship that comes to save Rios at the end, the captain of that ship is the woman that Picard went to the academy with and in Q's reality, he slept with her, and it ruined his whole life. But, of course, it goes back to normal, and that never happened. That captain is that woman. And there's, there's actually a line in the book at some point where somebody says, well, is she a lover of yours? And, then, and it's like, well, it depends on, on how you look at it. Because, you know, in the episode, right. he did have an affair with her, but in reality, he didn't. And I right. just thought that he tied, he pulled all these characters in from all these different episodes and all these different series and tied them all together into one. And I love it when they do that because now, well, that's what the Marvel universe does. And that's how, that's what I like to see in Star Trek because they would all know each other. You would think they would read the logs of, of the Starship Enterprise and they would know some of these things. I would think. So I loved it. I, it, it. But like you said, it wasn't until much later into the book when all these juicy things, well, Klingon blood wine, we find out about that. Um, yeah, yeah, there's so much. I just don't know where to, Charles, what did you think about the whole thing? As I said, there were a lot of twists. There was a lot of references to multiple series. You did all that, but we didn't really didn't get into the TNG slash DS9 era of, of uh, Ferengi. We had the Ferengi that were out there a bit conniving and having a bit of their own story in there. It's like they threw a lot of stuff in there. I love Ledger does her holodeck. Oh. What about when we see uh, Ledger's boss come in mm-hmm. and she comes in with the desk and the guys? That's so I Ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I love all the I Ocean stuff. And, you know, we've seen different interpretations of what happened to the I Oceans after a piece of the action. Like, you guys remember the I Oceans showed up in the year five comics and yeah. they. They, they, but in that version, they had reorganized their society differently. Here in this version, the Ioceans are pretty much the Ioceans, <laughs> just as you would expect yeah. them from TOS. And I also, like Charles was saying, the Ferengi, I thought it was so cool that, that, that the, the, main, the Ferengi in this book was the same Ferengi that Vosh had a run-in with in the Captain's Holiday episode on TNG. I was like, oh, that is so cool that they tied yep. that all together, you know? Yep, Captain's Holiday. And he, yep. uh, and he was, I remember he was one of the only Ferengi who actually said human instead of human. It was, he really, this, uh, this, this author, 
uh, really knows is Star Trek, and he he dug deep, yeah. deep, deep, deep into the lore, <laughs> and he, he pulled it all out. I mean, every little bit and piece, he he pulled it all out. So and we see, talked this about was, this, is, this is the point I was making when he did that in the Enterprise War, as you said, Eric. It didn't. He gave you all this information and all this stuff, but there was no payoff. There was no, it didn't, it was almost like meaningless information. But in this case, all that backstory and all that information that he gives you about all these little characters and all these places is meaningful to you because you know exactly where he's coming from, exactly who he's talking about, exactly what episode, what movie, what character, what race. And it just makes, for me, it makes it that much more enjoyable. You know, Jim, I wonder if that's the setting because, you know, Enterprise War is is set during a time of war. It's set where the Enterprise is away while the Discovery is engaging in the, the Klingon uh, war there. And, you know, the problem with Enterprise War, I mean, there are a few problems with Enterprise War, but it, I think that we find a lot of the secondary characters in that book a little uninteresting because they – are um, maybe soldiers and or officers who lack a little bit of depth. And the nice thing about this book is not only does it bring in the familiar characters, like, honestly, I think it's brilliant that they brought Kivas Faho back in because, you know, he goes to jail at the end of most toys, right? And you sort of learn yeah. that he makes it out of jail. Uh, and spoiler alert, they, he ends up back in jail by the end of the book. So, you know, you get to see that kind of like, it, a little time you see yes. his collection, them attempting to spurge his collection in uh, Lower Decks. You absolutely do, yeah. And it's cool, too, because by the end of this book, um, you know, he, he has uh, – here's more spoilers. He basically spent all his money trying to buy this really important thing, and then the really important thing turned out to sort of be a fake, and then there's a little story behind that that we don't want to spoil too much. But basically – he loses all of his money because he's trying to become the best collector and he thinks he's going to regain it and he doesn't. So he kind of like finishes the book poor and in jail, <laughs> which I think yep. is probably where he, you know, where he deserves to be because this is the guy who tried to collect data because data was the only Android. And of course that couldn't be allowed. And this is, you know, he committed murder to, to do it. Uh, and they kind of bring that up in this book too. They say, you know, to Cristobal, they're like, Hey, listen, when you deal with this guy, you can expect that he is ready to kill people. In fact, he makes a, at least one kill in the book as well. Um, so, yeah, uh, I just love that they brought him back because he was a fantastic uh, foil and, a, and a, a new type of character that I don't think we had seen up until that point in Star Trek. And what was so cool about the kill he made in this book? That's a question. He, what? He, okay. Yeah. In the book, he kills the Romulan um, ambassador yeah. with a Veron T disruptor, which is highly illegal, and there's only five known in existence. The Federation of uh, Bob took his first one, and he said he had to, he had to scour and spend a fortune to find another one, which he mm-hmm. ended up using to kill the Romulan. The same exact Supposedly, weapon. Supposedly the most, uh, one of the most painful ways to die, right? Yep, and there's only five in existence. He had two of them. And I, if you remember the episode, you'll, you'll remember that little little tidbit. Mm-hmm. So. And I, okay. I yeah, so well, we got to let Charles talk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, you're fine. Because Charles going. is the one that got us onto this book. <laughs> Oh, I do all the novels. I'm, I know the next one we're dealing with, I can't remember the title. Oh, I think it's another Picard book. But yeah, I love listening to the novels, and it just, I actually listened to this one twice. Thinking we were getting closer to the release date, which we didn't. But it was, well, I think it was interesting. I think the second time going through it, 
I was listening to it. It had been a couple of months or more, a few months since I'd read it and started going through it. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, okay. Now I got, now I've got this scene set up in my head. So it's actually a good one sometimes to go through twice because once you know the storyline, you understand the plot a lot better. Yeah, it's kind of like watching the the series a second time, right? You you know where it's headed, so you pick up more of the detail along the way. And I think, as Jim and I were saying, you know, one of the one of the things that this book did suffer from in the first two thirds was there are a lot of characters introduced, and some of them mm-hmm. don't matter, and you never know when you're supposed to be paying attention to a character and when when it's somebody who's just going to go away. So I, you know, I. It, despite the fact that the story was really, really good, it is one of the downsides um, that has carried through from a couple of his other books as well. But we could talk a little bit more about the author himself and some of the other stuff he's done. I, in my research for this, um, for this show, I was looking into, you know, does he have any other Star Trek cred other than these three novels that, um, that we've had the pleasure of talking about on the show. And I found out that in 2000. John Jackson Miller pitched a story for the Star Trek Starfleet Corps of Engineers series. Um, This was to be a comic book series. The pitch was accepted, um, Miller's first prose fiction sale, but the series was canceled before his story was published. He later used one of the concepts from the story in a bonus novella in a Star Wars collection, Lost Tribe of the Sith. So he came up with some ideas for a Star Trek story. <laughs> they were accepted, but they never made it. And so he's like, screw it. I'm taking this to the Star Wars universe, um, which is interesting. He, he, he also has a bunch of other um, Star Wars cred to his name. Um, he has a bunch of Dark Horse comics. Um, he's known um, for the Knights of the Old Republic uh, can, uh, series and Knight Errant comic series from Dark Horse Comics, which were, um, I understand, pretty good from Dark Horse. I, I never read them myself, but uh, so he's 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 going back and forth between the two franchises here, and it, it's interesting that he's it's clear that he's just got stories that he um, wants to tell, and so he's trying to find ways to get them out. Um, but he's, he's even touched things like Indiana Jones. I mean, he wrote the comic book adaptation of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and he's got a bunch of other comic books. These comic books, novels, all sorts of stuff. Um, very interesting guy. Well, I can say that and we've read every Discovery novel and all the Picard novels yeah. so far, and out of all of them, there's only one that I would say pass on. But every other one has been absolutely spectacular. All of them. Yeah, they've all and, been. And plus, they've, all been plus, they've all been well worth the plus, read. Plus, we reviewed the uh, Janeway biography. Yeah, and yeah, the Janeway biography. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I would add. Overall, you're right, Jim. Although I think the Enterprise War has enough in it that I mean, I would still read it. I just don't. I don't think when you read it, you can expect more than a, you know, a six out of it. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Oh, and by but the this... way, I think I can predict Jim's going to like the next novel. The next well, novel in our series will be Star Trek Picard, Second Self, written by Una McCormick. Oh. Oh, we know it'll be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I gotta say that um, this, this, this book was, uh, was really, really good. I, I, it, except, it took me a little while. That you, except that you have to kind of get like it's good in the end, right, Jim? But both you and I literally took months to get through the first two thirds of the book. So I, I want to say that like it's a good book. But yes. I, I, that's why I'm really curious, Charles, like, did you, I know that you kind of what you were saying before was that the format that you listen in uh, helps you plow through things that might otherwise yeah. be a little bit more well, un- okay. uninteresting. I go through it like, 
I go through it. It's like, okay, I got a half hour here. Okay, hit pause. Tomorrow, I got another half hour of the book. Tomorrow, I got another half hour of the book. Sure. So I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, when you listen to this, did you find your, you know, was your mind wandering more at the beginning of the book than it was at the end? Or were there any listening differences that you found? Or did you find the story compelling all the way through? They made the story a little more compelling. Yes, there were some drawn-out sections. But when you first listened to it, it's like, okay, it's a drawn-out section, but what's going to happen? Oh, Rios is caught in the alley. What's going to happen to him? Okay, it's a, a long stretch, but you know something's going to happen. You know they can't just wipe off, wipe out Rios right then and there. They, you got to keep Rios. So you're kind of like, okay, what is going to happen in this? And he gets a pretty good action scene, I think, in there, in the factory. And his escape, or attempted escape. Yeah, for sure. There's and I, I will say, where you, oh, there's a lot of scenes where, yeah, you kind of, uh, am I worried about what's going to happen? Go ahead and wait and find out what happens. And it's like, oh, okay, I didn't expect that to happen. Okay. We got a twist in here. I love the scene where Rios is drunk. He's kind of not sure what to do with himself. And all of a sudden, he gets to meet the captain, the previous captain of the ship. And the interaction he has with that hologram and that dealing of like, oh, boy, okay, something's going on here. I've Wait a minute, let's. I got to sober up and let's try to figure out what's going on. In fact, of how he has to get all of his, all the holodeck characters get created. Yes, you see them all in Picard season one. But you don't realize why he doesn't like them. But why he deals with them. Mm-hmm. And how, they're, how each of them got created. And each of them's got their own personality. I think the author did a great job and the reader did a great job of really kind of giving each of his characters a little bit of a personality. Because you got a bit of a Scotsman in there. You've got a bit of an Englishman in there. You've got these characters and they're Rios, but they're their own version of Rios. And I think sometimes it's better for some of these books to go ahead and do audio and just get through the whole book. I like, it's a good thing that, that the hologram looked like Rios because at the end when Arco shows up, the, the mm. Iocean president or whatever, what the I, was boss. she the president? The mob boss. The, the big mob boss yeah. shows up and there's that twist with all yeah. the holograms that look like oh, Rios. Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they didn't look like Rios. He couldn't have pulled that off. And I thought that, that was a great twist too. And Jim, I'm a, and Jim, I'm a little surprised you haven't mentioned uh, the appearance by one of your favorite Discovery era Klingons as well. Oh my God! <laughs> there were so many. <laughs> there are so many. Uh, the, he pulls in everybody in it. I mean, there's Klingons galore in this book. Really? Yeah. Well, the, the, yeah there's. Uh, let Let's not spoil it, but. He goes out of the holodeck into a tavern. But this is no ordinary tavern. And that's, I think, what adds some to the book is to realizing it's like, oh, it's a tavern of Klingons. Well, it's more than just a tavern of Klingons. There's some Klingons there with a lot of stories. And they also, in, in Picard season two, when the Elnor hologram is running around in this particular uh, uh, tavern, these Klingons are the actual, um, boy, they use like uh, the, the, what is it? 
These are just not holographs of the Klingons, but these particular famous Klingons that you're going to meet, and you're, you'll know every single one of them when they when you walk into the bar. But but they're programmed to, mm-hmm. to be the, to be the characters, and they'll kill you if you piss them off or you act dishonorably. Mm-hmm. They will yeah, kill you. I mean, it's, you know. Well, especially since uh, Rios has a tendency to turn off the hologram safety protocols when he needs to. <laughs> yeah. There are some. Yeah. And to see these great Klingons interacting with each other was was a lot of fun too. You know. Yeah, I I think I think given that Star Trek Six is so good and that it it brings a fantastic Klingon based story to the table with the, with the destruction of Praxis. Um, The fact that this book touches back to that movie in a lot of different ways, I think is a huge part of its, its success. You're just naturally interested in these characters because you, you remember them (laughs) from, um, from the movie and, and because you're you're dealing with collectors, you know the Kivas Fajo thing. Like the the book basically re- revolves around the collection of a particular object that is uh, that requires a bunch of authentication, uh, so to speak. As do many, you know, high priced items that are traded, uh, fake paintings, uh, fake Mona Lisa, whatever have been part of the the you know art collecting trade forever. This book continues that um, with Kivas trying to collect a, a particular item that has Star Trek six ties. And just I, to, to me, that is what makes it so fun because you're actually familiar with the characters and maybe, maybe it's one of the ways that this book is a little more successful. Now that I think about it because, you know, in enterprise war, he had to invent uh, entire uh, races of of beings and then the setting was just war and so it was just those beings like killing our guys you know and and there wasn't the just the the ability to connect on a personal level was completely narrowed down to you caring about what was going on with spock or you caring about what was going on with one of the other characters you know it doesn't you didn't really care about it this one kind of spreads it out a little bit. And even though it's a book about Rios, you really start to care about characters like Ledger or, you know, even the Bob boss had like had a really cool personality and fit, fit right in with Arco, whatever her name was. Uh, so yeah, I, it's the combining of these things that I think is actually kind of ingenious. You know, who, who would, who would think to like combine piece of the action with Star Trek six? You know, that's just like a, I, it's not something I would think of. <laughs> And, and throw in Vosh. And throw in Vosh. You know? Yeah. yeah. And and you don't find out that she's Vosh until, like, the second to last chapter. It is. It's right at the very end. Yeah. You never, ever, you never find out that XQ is actually who XQ is. It's, it's, it, was, it was really good. It was really fun. I'm glad. Once I, when I sat down and started it at camp, I could, I literally couldn't put it down. I just kept reading. And reading, and reading. I go out and walk the dog. I come back and I read some more. But it took me a while to get there. Yeah, can like I tell you that, be- that I I literally finished the last twenty eight percent of the book today, and it only took me maybe like an hour and a half to do it because uh, I just tore through the very end of the book, and it took me two months to get through the first. <laughs> you know, yeah, same thing. <laughs> Took me months to get through the beginning, but once, once, yeah, once, once that switch is flipped, it gets really good really fast. And there's so much being thrown at you, so many characters, and you're like, oh, I remember him from this. Oh, I remember her. And 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 you just you want to find out what what does it mean? What's the connection? Why is Wait, that person? We, didn't we say the really? same thing about Enterprise War? Now that I think about it, didn't we say that we liked the end of the book way, like the last bit of the book, way way better than the first like bulk of the book? I'm starting to remember this now. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think so. Well, because we got to a kind of finish, and we also realized, okay, why was the Enterprise so damaged when it ran into the Discovery? And they kind of had to fill in that gap of why 
Enterprise was away and why Enterprise was not involved with the Klingon War. Yeah, that's kind of the arc of this right. author. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe his best writing happens, you know, in the last like third of the book. Maybe, maybe it's the setup and everything that's kind of like marginally interesting, at least to us, from what we've said. You know, there there could be. I would love maybe to hear it kind somebody of stretches things out a bit. It, right, it kind and of like, the story along, and yeah. you kind of get towards the end, and you really want to know it. Wait, but you get towards the end, you really want to know how we tie this whole thing up. Right. Right. And some of these other authors, like Una McCormick, for example, for for whatever reason, her books are extremely compelling from the first chapter, and you care about it right from the beginning, and you get to the end of the book, and you're like, I just want to turn around and read this book again. So there's something about the pace of writing or the way that characters are developed. You know, I mean, different authors are different. But I'm just making an observation, yeah. uh, you know, John Jackson Miller, clearly he is a fine author. I mean, he's, you know, these books are not bad books. They are good books. And he's got tons well, he and tons of like. His books. He, he likes to stretch his books out. But that's what it feels well, like. It feels like the first two thirds is kind of like, it's like that episode that's 56 minutes when it could have been 48 minutes and been just fine. I, I, I would recommend, if I was going, I would recommend this one over enterprise war yeah i would say so uh but i mean we haven't uh uh what's the sorry i was i had it pulled up here a second ago the oh die standing was the mirror universe one of his that we also read and reviewed um and i have a little bit of trouble remembering how we liked that one i feel like we kind of liked it die standing i think is a Giorgio book it is yeah and we get com- we get a combination of because we tied into both Emperor and Prime. We start off with Prime, then we get Emperor, and Emperor trying to act like she's Giorgio. Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember what our opinion was of that book. I feel like we didn't have these kind of like pacing issues that we're talking about right now. I feel like we I don't either like was quite as long. I, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was well, Enterprise short... War is very long. Yeah, I felt like it went on too long. long book. It just yeah. went on and on and on and on and on and just yeah. But um, I, I would recommend this one. Th- this book. Once you once you get going in it, and you, you'll start remembering who Bosch was and who this Ferengi was, and and what where where did Thisbin come from, and the, all these things will start to flood into your brain, and you'll just your Star Trek knowledge, your your light will flip on, and you'll say, oh yeah, oh yeah, and it it becomes very enjoyable, at least for me, anyways. Um, so yeah, you know, I recommend it. Well, um, I, I also thought it was great. We found out why the La Serena looks like Eddie Van Halen's guitar. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about the paint <laughs> job at the end of the book there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which that was great. Cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So overall, what do you think, Eric? How many chevrons? Uh, I'd say out of 10 chevrons? Che- Yeah, we'll do chevrons. I think, uh, or La Serena's maybe, uh, out of 10 yeah, La Serena's. I would probably give this book, mm, let's see, I'm going to go ahead and give it a 7.2 uh, because I feel like the beginning is only like a six, but the end is like an eight and a half. So yeah, 7.2. 7.2. How about you? What do you think? What do you think, Charles? Mm, I'll push this one up to an eight. I think I do exactly... really enjoying it. That's exactly where I was thinking. Just right around an eight, not much higher than an eight, but right around an eight, because he did such a great job of bringing in all these classic TOS. I mean, he, he tied them all together in a way that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So that that wraps up our review of Rogue Elements, guys. Uh, I want to let you guys know that Thursday night, same bat time, same bat channel, we're gonna do our Star Trek 
San Diego Comic-Con show. And we've got a lot of information. A lot came out of that, of San Diego Comic-Con. We're going to talk about all of it on Thursday. So you definitely it, don't want to miss that. What? <laughs> Who? I said all of it. That's, it's going to be amazing all because there's like, you, you guys, if you haven't checked it out, there's a lot to talk about. There is. There is a lot to talk about. I think I've got, I think I've got some stories to cover just about everything. So about that. We're, we have a lot to talk about, and we, we will talk about it. So that'll be on Thursday night, so you definitely don't want to miss that. Next Monday on this show, we're going to talk about toxic fandom. And I wanted to get this out there because we've, we've heard from William Shatner. We've heard from Simon Pegg. And I want to get our opinion, our side of toxic fandom. Does it exist? Is it real? Is it made up? Is it legit? Is it not legit? Is it justified? I want to talk about all of that next Monday. So, um, yeah, that, that's what's going to be going on for the next week, guys. Head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talk and, and Beyond. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And anything else you guys want to throw in before we wrap up the show, Eric? I don't think so, man. Just looking forward to seeing you and seeing all the fans at Treconderoga next month. Oh, that's going to be fun. How about you, Charles? Anything you want to throw in before we wrap it up? No, just ready to start, talk, ready to start talking about San Diego. All right, guys. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying please stay safe and be good to each other. Star Trek fans are the best fans. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Night, y'all. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.